0: Has this ever happened to you? The conflict goes round and round in your head, and no matter which way you look at it, you're right and they're wrong. And it all matters so much. We're completely embroiled. We're so attached to the outcome, and we so need that other person to behave in a particular way. Whole talkative skills, though, doesn't seem to be enough. The conflict has absolutely hooked us, or perhaps it's defeated us but we can't let go. There is one tool left in the toolbox. Perhaps we need a new view. This is skill number 12, Broadening Perspectives, based on the book Everyone Can Win, about handling conflict constructively. Imagine, for a moment, that you're a traveller, about to climb a mountain. At the foot of the mountain, when you turn around, All you can see is what's directly in front of you. A few trees, a mountain stream, a rocky track. But as you climb, you can turn around and see that the few trees are in fact part of a larger forested area. And a little higher, you can see the farmland beyond the forest. And higher still, your view becomes more expansive. There's a township in the distance, a broad river, and that little stream you first noticed, it's feeding into it. And finally, you reach the top and you have a full 360 degree view. Broadening perspectives is like climbing that mountain to see more of the whole scene. As we claw our way upwards and skirting the boulders in our path, finding a way through, we begin to see the conflict from a different perspective. We begin to understand another person's viewpoint and we become aware that the whole picture is much bigger than any single person's perspective. We're not denying the problem. We couldn't if we tried. It's still there, but in a wider frame. We're not so immersed. Can we see ourselves objectively even for a moment and begin to notice our embroiled state from a little distance? We're finding ourselves as a witness. Try this exercise. Think of some problem that you're dealing with right now. What would you say is your issue? Now try a different perspective. What would the person most involved with you in this conflict say is your issue? And go for a different perspective yet again. How would a thoughtful and compassionate outsider looking at you both Describe the issue. If that was a bit fast for you, try it a bit later when you're by yourself. If you have any luck, you're witnessing as well as participating. And the real trick is to slide between the two places frequently. Try these three questions on yourself the next time a conflict wakes you up in the middle of the night and you're ruminating. Finding the place where you can witness yourself. And the whole issue, in a bigger context, is very calming. If we can overview the whole problem in its wider context, it's rather like zooming out on a computer screen. The details are no longer in focus. Soon we might be able to see that frustration is not our only option, and we stop judging the rights and the wrongs, and we just observe our prejudices and our hopes from a little distance. We haven't disconnected, we're still very present to the whole thing, and this is self-awareness. It's one of the pillars of emotional intelligence. Your broader perspective throws up new insights, and it can change what you do. For instance, you might witness that you're defending your opinions very rigidly, and that might help you be a little bit more flexible. Perhaps you change your perspective from me to us. Which larger teams or tribes do you belong to? And what does your tribe need? It's not just me, the mum or the dad. It's us, the family. It's not just me, the mid-level manager. It's us, our whole organisation and our contractors and our customers. It's not just about me. It's about all living things on the planet. And we're on that team too. We're responsible for that tribe and to that tribe. We broaden our allegiance and our caretaking becomes more inclusive. Our concern becomes the whole as well as our private selves. And that's the bigger picture. We might take on responsibility for some of the ways we're polluting the environment. We may need now to rethink the views of our parents, our teachers and of our peers and perhaps stand up for something quite different. We might be called upon to let go of stereotypes of other groups and cultures that falsely simplify our picture of diversity. We're in times of refugee crises and horrendous outcomes from climate change and pandemics sweeping the world, and we can be overwhelmed by their enormity. Often it seems we can do nothing about all this. But I believe that there is a very important role we can still play. We can be a witness. We can personally engage with life's challenges and pay attention with enormous compassion to all that's going on. As a witness, we're very present. We focus on the issues. We hold them and those that suffer close to our hearts. We can be with others, however far away they actually are. Our witnessing offers a cocoon, a nurturing force field in which the overwhelming experience can be so for the person while they deal with and grow through all that's on their plate. I believe that witnessing is always a powerful force for good, even when we cannot ever directly see its results. It's what counsellors do, it's what mediators do, and it's what caring friends do for each other. It's how we can live life in the thick of things, conscious, aware and connected, rather than indifferent and distracted. We hold the space, and that makes a difference. Of course, we have to decide carefully about, as the alcoholic's prayer goes, what we can and cannot change, and find the wisdom to know the difference. There'll be moments where we're called to action. Our personal conflicts are right in our face. And they'll require that we address them with all the conflict resolution skills we can muster, hopefully with the help of this series. Can we make a positive difference in this situation in front of us? Perhaps there's an opportunity for a simple act of friendship, or a hand up for somebody in trouble. And... Sometimes we can directly engage with larger issues that are universally troubling us. The truth and reconciliation processes that began in South Africa over apartheid have now sprung up all over the world and they point out a path not only for broad social issues but for what's personally going on in our own lives. Can we acknowledge the past? Can we own up to the abuses and the injustices that have occurred? Can we hold serious perpetrators to account? Can we demand that justice prevails and that the worst offenders are appropriately disciplined? Can we support everyone's opportunity to improve their lives and particularly those that are disadvantaged? Are there changes needed in the way our own workplaces or families operate? Do we need some new structures or systems so that Inbuilt discrimination and exclusion cease, and they're much less likely to recur. And can we make amends? What can we do, or encourage, to make up for previous wrongs? When there's something we can do, we act. And when conflict seems intractable, let's reflect. We might need to reconsider what we can and can't change in our personal conflict. Are we defending or condoning mindsets or habits? that have passed their use-by date? Are we, for instance, waiting for the other person or the situation to change before we take a step towards them? Or perhaps we might see that this problem will never work out, it's time to move on, that our efforts cannot shift this issue and we have to get on with the rest of life. Or perhaps, again, we can see this situation's not hopeless, but we're pushing too hard. We want someone to make a shift, and they just won't do it. Perhaps our timing is wrong, and as we push harder, the more conflict we create. After our best efforts, we may need to let go of the how and the when and take a step back. There is a natural flow in the currents of life, and we might need to respect this hidden force. It has its own timing and its own ways. Sure, we can hold our intention for the best possible outcome, whatever that is, but we might need to stop expecting it to shape up exactly as we'd hoped. It might be time to recognise that the next stages are out of our hands. And when we stop pushing, our energy shifts, and we might see some other options. Others might begin to respond differently, move closer, or become more accommodating. Results might take longer. And they might come in a different form. And sometimes the outcome is even better than the original plan. We might have to let the natural flow take its own course in its own time, not ours. In preparation for starting a family, Peter and Lisa decided they'd move out of the city to the country and they'd move as soon as the details of Peter's new internet business were finalized. But there were problems involved in the setup and every day Peter seemed more remote and more despondent and Lisa couldn't get a date out of him for their move. She couldn't action anything meaningful waiting for him to handle his business issues first. But her head was spinning with plans. She was on the edge of a new life but obstacles were blocking her at every turn. And daily she was becoming more stressed and more short-tempered, and particularly with Peter. There was nothing she could do to make Peter's business work for him, but she was totally dependent on that happening. Lisa saw that it was time for a broader perspective. What was the view of all of this from the mountaintop? She started thinking. She could see she was stuck. What things could she and could she not change? She asked herself what could she do now that would give her back a sense of control, a sense of her life moving forward under her own steam. She knew she wanted to have a big clean out of junk before they move. Well, she could start on that immediately. She'd dreamt of doing silkscreen printing once they did move, and she could enrol in a local college. There was a course that would start in a few weeks. She thought of a new project she could get involved in at work that would make it more engaging for the time being. As she looked at the whole picture, she saw that she wasn't actually trapped by these difficulties. Recognising that she couldn't help Peter, she stopped pestering him and pushing for answers. And within a day or so, he seemed less withdrawn and more optimistic, and she had things she could get on with. Yes, there were obstacles, but she was back in the flow. She'd got her struggle out of the way and was able to let things take a more natural course. What else will a broader perspective help us locate? We may be able to find the path with heart, and especially if we've lost it. In needing to stand up for what we want, Sometimes we haven't injected enough heart into the situation. When we're stretched to our limit, empathy can completely escape us. And that's another time to get a bigger picture and climb the mountaintop. And there our turbulent feelings come back into perspective and we've got an opportunity to reconsider. Have we closed off to protect ourselves or so that we can gird ourselves up to fight for what we believe in? It's very natural when we're angry, or we've come to dislike someone intensely, or they've hurt us, or they hate us. But from such a cramped, withdrawn position, we're very unlikely to find the way forward. Hate begets hate, and more actions fuelled by hate. In each one of us, there is a natural tenderness that we could apply to all beings. It jumps to the fore with the very young and the vulnerable. We might have felt it if we've held a kitten. Can we apply that universal tenderness to this person in particular? Can we notice or surmise their pain, possibly their fears too, no matter how well hidden they are? Can we sense the damage that past hurts or mental imbalance or limited life opportunities may well have caused them? In other words, can we summon compassion and let it flow towards them, not just because it's noble, but because it's also smart? Compassion strengthens our own well-being and our openness to all the challenges that life offers. It serves us, and it may well ease the conflict. Choosing the path with heart is a wise choice. Can we focus on putting heart into even our most difficult interactions? Can we hold to it or quickly get back to it, no matter what happens? I always want to be true to that part of myself, alongside my anger, even my fury or my overwhelm. It's a tough call. It's a skill that needs practice if it's to be a real option for me when I'm in the thick of conflict. I practice on strangers. When I hear that they've done something that absolutely appalls me, I locate some caring about them in their essence, in the midst of my horror. But still, I do numb down my compassion, and I do it often. I tend to go numb on the big issues that are assailing me daily whenever I turn on the news. And I'm not alone in it, I know. It's incredibly tempting to bury our head in the sand and close off and turn away. We turn off to the facts of religious persecution and genocide, that people are starving, that we have refugees in extremis on our borders and we're not letting them in. The least we can do is to awaken our compassion and bear witness to these atrocities. And it means waking up to our own hunger for peace and for justice in the world. Racism, bigotry, fanaticism of any sort tears at the heart of a just society and our compassion should actually burn inside us as a fire for positive change. We need our hearts open and on these issues our silence perpetuates the violence. Where is our voice? The path with heart can crack down like a ton of bricks if that's what's needed. If they're doing the wrong thing they're hurting themselves as well as other people, whether they realise it now or not. The path with wise heart and deep caring does have a voice and it may be necessary to speak out forcefully. Turning back to the personal for a moment, choosing the path with heart will certainly mean that you won't let your teenage son get away with stealing or drug taking or your boss get away with sexual harassment. Compassion does not imply that we have to agree with or accept what they do. When we see something we believe is wrong, it's a call to action, wherever that's possible. No matter what they've done, and no matter what punishment they deserve, or indeed you might impose, you can still wish them in their essence well. And if you must be tough, be tough with heart, not without it. Having said that, sometimes it's true that the path of heart will require you to leave uncorrected something that you think is completely unwise, but the person apparently needs that experience, and you might be powerless or have decided that it's unwise to block these learning experiences. Wish them well and really mean it. And remember to include compassion for yourself as well. If we're in physical danger, we have a duty and responsibility to care for ourselves and keep ourselves out of harm's way. Our caring protects us, and it also protects dangerous people from themselves and their own potential for wrongdoing. If you're at a crossroads and you don't know which way to turn, sense which option has more heart. It will be the better one. Of course, you might first need to work through some raging emotions before you can clearly sense in which direction your heart is leading you. One last word on this from the Dalai Lama. Be kind wherever possible. It's always possible. Sometimes we're only seeing part of the problem and we're not seeing it in its full context. Broadening our perspective might require that we really consider the context. We might need to take into account a whole lot of implications. Perhaps our issue won't resolve itself because there are many other factors involved. Someone wants a pay rise, and they know they deserve it. But their pay rise must occur in the context of the whole pay structure in this organisation. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't go on pushing for what we believe we deserve. But in fact, we might be fighting a bigger battle than we first thought. Say you've been treated badly by a former employer and you believe you have the right to sue them through the courts. Consider the wider context before you take that path. Will justice be served? Or will you end up paying out all your savings to the lawyers and you may well get nowhere? Climb to the mountaintop and survey the whole court route. Do you know anyone who's won a case like this? What compensation would you realistically expect to achieve through the courts? And would that make a difference to you? Would you get your old job reinstated? And after the whole situation, would you want it back anyway? As we consider the context, all the implications, we might need to look carefully into the legal factors, political factors climate or economic conditions, the prevailing culture and customs, and into current social issues. Presently, we are living in a society with huge, buried social unrest, waiting for any trigger event to convulsively resurface, as we've seen with the marriage equality and Black Lives Matter movements. Whether or not we choose to march on the streets or use the media to express our outrage, these movements deliver a message to each one of us. Finally, the personal is always the context. As Gandhi said, we must be the change that we want to see in the world. So, look within. If something's wrong out there, there's something to fix inside us too. For instance, it's vital that we as individuals and as members of our community come to terms with our own unwillingness to resolve past and current injustices, to see the advantage that those very injustices have given us. What's the connection with that past and our children's future? We can use the situation out there in the world to bring us messages about ourselves and our lives outside and inside us. That's the full context. As we broaden our perspective, we consider our task as witness, present and fully attending to what's going on. We look carefully into what we can and cannot change. And no matter what the provocation, we choose the path with heart. And we look into the context the factors that impact on any steps we might take. And we also need to be mindful and watch the ripples. Throw a stone into the water and the ripples spread out through the whole pond. One thing is always affecting another. If you're dealing with a child's behavioural problems at home, you probably should also be considering the connection between that and circumstances at school. So step back. Look around. Where are the ripples? Something wrong in one work area might be affecting other parts of the organization. Inequalities or unfair treatment in one part of society is causing major problems in other areas. The unequal distribution of money and power in our world is having devastating results. It's excluding the underprivileged from the benefits of society, health systems, education work, material comfort and political and social status, how long can that hold steady? As we watch the ripples, we're asking, does this problem extend further and would solutions have more wide-ranging effects? If we're considering making a significant intervention in a conflict, then we notice if that's likely to create changes in other areas and if it's change we want to see, we'll be encouraged to pursue our conflict-resolving process with more vigour, because it will have such a widespread effect. Here's a good case in point, fair pay for workers in the garment industry in third-world countries. As we address this issue, it has profound ripples affecting the whole industry through many nations. If we keep tracing the ripples outwards enough, we may see that everything and everyone is interconnected. We need each other to survive and flourish. We're bound together in a web of mutuality. The actions of one individual are interconnected with every other. When our perspectives broaden, it sometimes comes as a sudden shift in our thinking. It's an aha, a realisation. Sometimes even a transformation. Something clicks, and suddenly we see things quite differently. Instead of seeing the other person as the enemy, we see them as our teacher who's bringing us important lessons that we really need to learn. Or the other person tells you something about their past, and suddenly their behaviour makes perfect sense. Or perhaps you notice your own inappropriate rescuing behaviours. How you jump in to help at every opportunity and sometimes it's not appropriate. Now you can clearly see what's needed from you and what's not. Perhaps your transformational shift came while you were applying some of the skills that you've been listening to here. Have you come to see a particular conflict or issue quite differently? Perhaps it was a reframe, a map you did or a question you asked yourself. I had a big aha recently. Came as a flash of insight. For years, I've been talking about including the opposing point of view in decision-making. But truth is, I was always irritated whenever I faced opposition. I might have disguised it well, but that was how I was feeling. My insight came when I realised that what I'd been experiencing as an attack What's actually a gift. I could reframe my irritation into gratitude. It was up to me. I could use it to think more clearly and more deeply and find a higher-order solution. And that's what I really wanted. Try this for a transformational shift. Just for a moment, think about a problem you're facing right now. Got one? Okay. Ask yourself. What do I need? And now ask yourself more carefully, What do I really need? And inquire deeply and slowly for a third time, What do I really, really need? Digging deep to find what we really, really need might help us make the transformational shift that will take us a step forward, perhaps out of an impasse. The trouble with us human beings is we're so messy. We get things wrong time and time again and we might not make our transformational shift as a sudden leap. We might be making it day by day as we handle our conflicts a little better. We're trying to change old habits, and sometimes those habits are intergenerational. We can use conflict to pinpoint our patterns. We're using our conflicts to become more conscious. So we have to be kind to ourselves when we make mistakes. We're on a learning journey. Our broad perspectives can help us respect and value differences. We're all unique and special with distinctive yet equally valid viewpoints. You might have heard the story of the blind men and the elephant. Each man took hold of a different part of the elephant. The one holding the trunk concluded that the animal was a snake, and the one holding the leg thought it was a tree, and the one holding the tail was convinced it was just a rope, and the one touching the elephant's side claimed it was the... Definitely a wall. Each assumed that his experience was the true representation of this thing called elephant, and he couldn't understand why the other men were describing something that sounded completely different. Each person's viewpoint is part of the whole, and only if we include all the information do we get a reasonably accurate picture of what we're dealing with someone who has a totally different set of priorities to you is telling you about another piece of the full picture. So include the objections rather than oppose them. Apply the discipline of switching but to and as you argue things out. Have you ignored a different viewpoint that ought to be included in solutions you design? Integrating it, generates higher-order thinking. Can you, too, come to realise that opposition is actually a gift? People from other races, different religions, different sexual preferences, different value sets, different personalities, all make up the whole, and each has a valuable contribution to make, and each viewpoint is worthy of our respect and our consideration. Each person is bringing us part of the glorious full picture. Oh yes, I can master inclusion and treat others with courtesy, but is there another bridge to cross? What am I unconscious about? Am I complicit in the oppression of groups whose culture and values are different to my own? By my actions and by my lack of them, Am I condoning the continuation of that oppression? Am I indifferent? What am I being called on to reassess? It takes courage to cross this bridge when we don't know what's on the other side. Krishnamurti, the philosopher, had a good point when he said, Change in society will come about naturally, inevitably, when you as a human being Bring about change in yourself. Have I painted a picture of another person or group as wrong, evil, dangerous and undeserving? Is that really true? Or have I just taken on the ill-considered biases of my own in-group? Is it time for me to do some independent thinking, do a bit of research? Perhaps we've all been blinded by fear, ignorance or misinformation. Is it high time I shone a light into my own dark places. I believe we're being called on ultimately to let go of our personal sense of tribal boundaries, of sexual boundaries, to rethink our own personal identity and to become one with the enormous diversity of the human race as we broaden our view, we may need to include a long-term perspective. Are we supporting or resisting inevitable forces for change and growth? We need to remember that they're always at work below the surface, but if we don't take time out to sense them, we might feel disheartened. How much conflict will you stir up resisting change? Can your broader view take in a long-term perspective? You'll see that change is happening everywhere all the time, and it disturbs the status quo and forces us to change structures. Look at how COVID 19 has turned our world upside down in ways we never could have predicted. Did we ever expect that people would be working from home and still being employed by large companies? New ways of living are being demanded of us, new ways of seeing the world. Will we resist? Or will we adapt? No, it might not immediately feel good or for the better. These disturbances can be extremely uncomfortable, excruciating if you've lost your job and you don't know what to turn to next. Uncertainty itself can be something that we heavily resist. Of course, we'll plan for the best and protect ourselves from the worst wherever we can. But can we get a bit more comfortable with that feeling of uncertainty? Can we sit in the not knowing, sit right on the pointy tip of it, experience the discomfort and stay with that feeling? It is truth, at least for now. If we can sit with uncertainty, we might be able to focus on what we can learn, how we can welcome the new and shape it to work better for everyone, even when we haven't chosen it. Find the benefits rather than dwelling on the losses it can be our opportunity for something better. We can redefine ourselves as we respond to change. So can we become optimists about change without ignoring the hard facts? According to research at Boston University's School of Medicine, the most optimistic people live an average of 11 to 15% longer than their more pessimistic peers, and they're definitely living happier lives. As we take on board the long-term perspective, optimism will help us locate better ways to move forward. What's our vision for the problems in front of us? What kind of world do we want to move forward to? Where are we heading in the evolution of ideas? With a global awareness, we see there are things worth fighting for, changes that we need that just won't come quickly and we need an inner fortitude for the long, hard campaigns so that we can continue them for as long as needed. Examples are always helpful. Take, for instance, Nelson Mandela. He was born in 1915 in a brutally divided society, and he dedicated his life to the liberation of his black South African people. In the 1960s, he was sentenced to life imprisonment mostly in the isolated Robben Island prism for his activism in the pursuit of this cause. At his trial, he said, I have cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all people live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an ideal which I hope to live for and to achieve. But if needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. In prison, very quietly and very much alone, he learned to claim the full power of his leadership. As a political prisoner, he became the focus of a changing global attitude which opposed apartheid and sought to isolate the white regime. That regime came to fear imminent racial civil war as the pressure of sanctions grew. And finally, in 1990, after 27 years in prison, the South African president, F.W. de Klerk, released Mandela and began talks to end apartheid. Four years later, Nelson Mandela was elected the first African president of South Africa and attempted the process of healing the divided society with his truth and reconciliation initiatives. Mandela was always in it for the long haul. He always held in front of him a vision of a liberated future for his people, indeed, for all people, and he worked all his life towards that end. Here are two principles that guided him. A winner is a dreamer who never gives up. And he also said, it's in your hands to make a difference. Can we harness synergy The extra element that makes the difference might be just the miracle factor that we need for change. It can arise through a new combination of unique factors. Suddenly there's a cooperative interaction between all the parts. Are you able to spark synergy by introducing something completely different into the equation? I watched a divided family recently make an enormous shift in their home atmosphere by introducing a puppy into their lives. It was an out-of-left-field intervention into the family dynamics, and it worked. Small changes can make a big difference. Synergy might be the ability to perform something together that we could never achieve alone, or as a result of the combined push for change from like-minded people cooperating. Don't underestimate the deeply held desire of thousands of people. Ultimately, they can shape major world events. Our own actions can have a much wider meaning. Synergy may well be at work multiplying the effects as we are working in cooperation with others. Consider the constantly growing effectiveness of the Me Too movement in exposing sexual harassment and calling the perpetrators to account. Synergy sparks when many different perspectives come together, producing far more significant results than those perspectives could ever accomplish separately. Finally, we're beginning to see multi-pronged initiatives to tackle climate change. And that push is now coming from groups of farmers, manufacturers, investors, sometimes even within government and energy producers. <laughs> Though mostly those two are still painfully slow. Can't they feel the synergy for this change, gathering force? Finally, though, remember, it's always up to us, the individual, to harness our voice to the growing momentum. Are we now able to express a different opinion in conversation with our friends? When we sense synergy, we gain more courage to insist that our voice is heard too. Most of us have a preference for not rocking the boat. But when synergy is afoot, we can afford to be braver and our actions can really make a difference. Victor Hugo wrote in the early 1800s, but he's still correct. He wrote, Nothing is more powerful than an idea whose time has come. Synergy can arise because we've come up with a better or a new combination of factors and experimenting or grabbing a new opportunity may well offer the key to success. So, experiment. Find the missing element. We are undergoing an exciting and a rapid transformation to become a world powered by cleaner, cheaper and more reliable energy. Much of it has been spearheaded by the creative genius of Elon Musk. He's an innovator and an entrepreneur. He finds and then he relies on the smartest people in each industry, funds their research generously, and closely supervises as they experiment on prototype after prototype. He made his fortune originally when his shares in PayPal netted him around $180 million, and he staked the lot on creating technological breakthroughs that would sustain the human race. In 2008, He nearly went bust. His rockets wouldn't fly, his cars wouldn't run. But, undaunted, he pushed on, constantly experimenting and dreaming up new projects. In the summer of 2016-17, South Australia experienced disastrous power blackouts on extreme temperature days. And some politicians were blaming renewable energy. But Musk knew better. The real problem was adequate storage to cover peak demand, and he believed that he knew how to fix that. There was a nearby wind farm, and if he could capture its excess energy, he could store it. It would require the world's largest lithium-ion battery to serve as a backup system to the state's grid. He got into conversation with visionary billionaire Mike Cannon-Brooks on the topic and they challenged each other to a bet. Musk would have the system built within 100 days from signing the contract, or he would supply it free. And the contract was worth $50 million. Musk was prepared for the experiment, and he won the bet. His company, Tesla, completed the project in around 60 days. And the battery system now provides backup energy for the whole state, and sets an example for what can be done with the public supply of clean energy on a national scale. It was pretty typical of how Musk stacks up his successes, with electric cars, space rockets, solar and wind manufacturing, storage batteries, and refining hundreds of tiny but vital components needed to make them all work. That's synergy. We don't really hear much about his failures, but they're there in abundance. Here is a man who, while geared for success, is prepared to fail. If it's innovative and it will lead the planet forward, Elon Musk will have a go. Each mistake, each failed experiment is a learning experience on his way to what really works. The same thing goes for relationships and the problems in them that you're facing. Experiment. Learn from the failures. Seek out new opportunities. Persist with the vision. How do you want it to be? What would that look like? And decide how best to make that happen. What ideas or new perspectives, what factors or what people will you gather for synergy to spark? How are the currents of change moving today? Millions of us already want such things as medicines and vaccines available to everyone, regardless of their finances. We want the nonviolent resolution of conflict, and we want to end all those factors that fuel injustice and ignite terrorism. Our responsibility to future generations demands that we come to grips with the sustainable use of the planet's resources, and do it now. At the least, be an awake, caring witness. Unite your heartfelt wishes with others who want these things too. And perhaps it's not just about caring. Perhaps there's a call to action for you. How could you influence your organisation? Perhaps you'd like to see it run with more emphasis on social justice and ecologically sustainable approaches to important decisions. Use your conflict resolution skills to push for issues you care about. Your voice swells the power of synergy. Like-minded people acting together, driving the changes we need. Too grand? Rubbish. Start right where you are. Let's extract from all of this the lessons for each one of us. So here's the summary. What does broadening perspectives entail? Become a witness, present and alert to other people's experiences and taking an objective view of our own. How would a compassionate outsider describe this problem? Look clearly at what you can and cannot change and adapt to the flow of unfolding events. Find the path with heart. Both personally and as part of society, look wide and look deep. Transform apathy, aversion or contempt into an active compassion. Consider the wider context. What else bears on your decision-making here? What are the implications? And watch the ripples. Notice the interconnections. Does the problem extend further? And would the solutions have wide-ranging effects? Is there a new perspective, an aha, that improves on old thinking and previous approaches? Ask yourself, what do I really, really need? You're on a learning journey. Perhaps there's an old habit that no longer serves you, and maybe you can let go of it, at least just for today. Respect and value differences. Other viewpoints form part of the whole picture. Remember, and, not but. Include a long-term perspective with the inevitability of change. And rather than resisting it, can you shape it for the better? Hold to your vision and sit with uncertainty if that's what's true for now. Harness synergy. Find the extra element that makes the difference. What new factors, ideas, perspective or people might interact to shift the whole problem? Then experiment and learn from the failures. Join the change that is possible once people act together. Add your voice. Broadening our perspective is like climbing higher up a mountain to see further horizons. And only from these higher perspectives can we find meaning in distressing events and find the relationships between seemingly unconnected potentials. From these higher perspectives, we can learn to behave as a caring, cooperative and global community. This has been the last episode in this series. Now we've explored all 12 skills for managing and resolving conflict effectively. If you've missed any of them, Do catch up sometime soon so you have a rounded picture of all the tools available in your toolkit of skills. You may well want to revisit particular episodes to brush up on the content when an issue is right up there in your face. If you haven't done so already, perhaps subscribe to this series wherever you listen to podcasts so that your conflict resolution toolkit is easily at hand. And do let your friends know about the series too. Good conflict resolution skills do make an enormous difference in people's lives. We need all these skills to play our part in building a better future. If you'd like more details on all of this, have a look at our website at Conflict Resolution Network. Our headquarters are at crnhq.org. You can download transcripts there, and you might want to explore the extra study notes on broadening perspectives and all the other skills. Perhaps you'd like to browse our bibliography. There's a free manual for trainers there too, and for ongoing reference, you might want to purchase the book, Everyone Can Win. It's been the inspiration for this series. Also, on our Conflict Resolution Network website, you'll find some details about initiatives that we've captured in our broader perspective. One of them is employment for all who need it. COVID is actually deepening the problem that we've always had. But recently, we've seen some new government-funded employment programs as we recover from the economic effects of the pandemic. Some of them are renewable energy projects. Yay! Momentum for the idea of employment for all who need it is building a little. Is there the germ of an idea here for impoverished countries and those recovering from war? We also vision peacetime, non-combat roles for the military. I'm not talking here about quelling protests. I'm talking about how our own defence forces can, and often do, support their communities in emergencies and disasters. We saw it in Australia in 2019 and 2020, when large parts of the country were ravaged by bushfires and many communities would not have survived without the Defence Force Operation Bushfire Assist. They stepped up again only a few months later, taking over duty in aged care homes that were overrun with COVID. Yay, again! Let's voice our support for emergency assist training for the military and faster, more effective channels for response. At the network, another vision that we've held is multiple individual peace treaties between two countries at a time to gradually grow a network of positive one-to-one relationships between nations. And each new peace treaty signed is another step in the right direction. Here's a network vision that still often stumbles. We keep on working to try and change the political climate. We deserve to have our politicians better understand and integrate diverse points of view rather than two-way point scoring. We so need them to address the issues and refrain from personal attack. Divisiveness does not solve our community's problems. What will encourage politicians to display the values we personally prefer when they address each other and the media? And when we see it at its worst... It should encourage us to do our own best. If we work within our personal spheres to build a climate where everyone's needs are routinely considered, we might ultimately choose statesmen rather than pugilists to govern our affairs. Got any feedback on that one? We'd appreciate your feedback on all these issues and also on this podcast series. What's been important to you? What's missing? What would you like to see happen with it? Use the Contact Us link on our website. And thank you for your listening ear. It's been an honour to have you on board.